And so tonight I've invited another friend of mine, Adam Smouse, to share with us. Um, you've seen Adam actually lead worship for us a few times, so you know him. It's a familiar face. Um, and uh, Adam has been involved in ministry for several years, a talented musician, has a heart for Jesus. And he's walked the road of just suffering and adversity. And, you know, one of the things I like about Adam is that whenever I'm with him, I get this sense that, man, this guy is a man of God. I just get that sense, Adam, every time we're together. And I just feel like this is a man of God. And so as I prayed about um, having some speakers over this month, he just came to my heart. And so I, I wanted him to come and share. And his wife Candace is here, and their kids are in kids' church right now. And uh, they're just great people. And I just wanted him to share his story and a message tonight for us. Uh, before he shares, um, I've asked Nathan to sing a song. Uh, this is an older song called It Is Well. And this song you've heard maybe, maybe a thousand times. You may not know the story or the background behind this song. Um, this song was written by a guy named Horatio Spafford. And this is an older song, but he wrote this out of adversity. He wrote this song out of pain and suffering. Um, he had sent his wife and his four daughters on a boat going from the U.S. to, to Europe. And it, and it slammed into another boat and it, and it sank. And he, his wife survived, but he lost his four daughters. And so he gets on a boat, and he's headed over there, and he gets to the spot where the boat went down. And it's out of this pain and that agony that I can't even imagine. It's out of this pain and agony he sings, and he, or he wrote this song. It has shed his 
That has always been, and I, and I hope um, will continue to be probably my favorite old hymn. And I remember as a kid growing up in church, um, there was a lady at our church who did a really good job of organizing uh, us little ones, and she always had us putting on plays and special events for the church. Um, and uh, we put on this whole event uh, that was titled Hymnology. Uh, and uh, it was this, it was like a narrative sort of story play kind of a thing and woven throughout all of it were all of these old hymns. And the one I remember the most is that hymn, hearing the story of Horatio Spafford and what he went through 
uh, and the adversity that he went through uh, that caused that song to pour out of his heart. Um, it's always stuck with me. So, and it's real, uh, a treat and a pleasure to be with you here tonight. Um, it's weird, because usually I'm up there um, doing what, what Nate did tonight, leading us in worship, and I'm looking forward to when I'm, when I'm finished tonight, getting to sing some more songs together with all of you and having these guys lead us in worship. All, all of those guys are, are friends of mine, and uh, it's really cool just to get to be on this part of the stage and uh, get to be led in worship by then. So thank you, guys. Um, man, what a powerful time. Um, when Nels asked me to come and speak to you guys, first of all, it's, it's good to be here with you. Thank you for having me. Um, my name's Adam Smouse, as Nell introduced. Um, uh, I grew up here in Portland. I've been a pastor for, oh gosh. I've been leading worship since I was 15. I've been a vocational pastor for about the last 10 years or so. Um, I don't get to do a lot of this. So I would appreciate tonight as I speak, would you please pray for, for me while I'm speaking? Um, I'm pretty nervous. Uh, when, he, when he asked me, um, if you were to come and speak, what would you speak on? And I, I knew right away, I, I want to speak on suffering. Um, that is a, a, a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Um, but it's gigantic. It's, it's huge. It's so wide and so deep from a biblical perspective. Uh, and that, that doesn't even scratch the surface of how big and wide it is deep um, for humanity. It's like one of the top fundamental questions that people, whether they believe in God or not, and and. It often is, it is the one thing that keeps people from coming to him. Or it's one of the things that they stumble over enough on their way into the kingdom is the problem of suffering and pain and evil in the world. So it's like, I want to talk about it, but where do I begin? Um, do I go super theological? Um, I, I, I was just, I, I was overwhelmed and I was rocking my son to sleep one night and um, I was just kind of scrolling through my Instagram and a buddy of mine who's also a worship leader had posted something about a new song um, that he was inspired by and I listened to it and I knew right then what God wanted me to um, speak about to you tonight, the message that he wanted me to bring. Because um, I love the theology. I think that there's some terrible theology um, that people preach and teach today in the church regarding suffering and regarding pain and regarding sin in the world. Um, they misinterpret scripture. Uh, oftentimes, it seems like well-intentioned preachers want to come to the rescue of God in the way that they handle pain and suffering and sin. Um, unfortunately, I don't have near enough time to go down that route, and my one prayer was, God, what do you want me to preach? Um, and, and through the lyrics of this song, uh, he reminded me of 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. So if you have your Bible with you tonight or if you've got an app or a phone or whatever, I would direct you to 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 and 17. I'm going to read that, go away from it for a little bit, and come back to it. Um, but why don't I start out while you're getting there? I'll just read it, um, and then we'll come back to it. Um, it says, so, which is a hugely loaded word, we don't have time to get into all that comes before so. All of Paul's letters to the Corinthians. Uh, he says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Would you guys pray with me? Father in heaven, I just thank you so much for all of these beautiful people that are in this room tonight. They're people that you have brought here by your providence and by your sovereignty. Um, And uh, it is a beautiful thing for the people of God to come together and sing his praises and to hear his word preached. And I just pray that um, you would keep my mouth from saying anything that it shouldn't and that you would direct my words and my thoughts and that the hearts of all of us in this room tonight um, would be led into worship of you, that you would give us eyes to see, that you would give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to feel your truth, and that we would be changed by it. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Um, The things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Um, I don't know what it is that you've brought into this room with you tonight. I don't know what you've been through in your past. I don't know what you're dealing with right now. But my main encouragement, my main message to you tonight is uh, what you're experiencing today, what you've experienced in your life. It's, you've been able to see it with your eyes and feel it with your hands and feel it with your hearts. But that's not the end of the story. It's, it, there are so many more unthings going on in the world. And that's what Paul calls us to, what he is asking us to do through this passage as it pertains to suffering and pain and evil is to have a different perspective than the world has when we experience those things. Um, We can't help them. They are going to happen to us. We can't insulate ourselves from them. They are going to happen to us. But as Christians, um, the question is, uh, how are we going to respond when they do? Um, And fundamentally, underneath it all, um, is what Paul says. Uh, This new perspective, this different perspective Uh, there are eternal things, there are weighty things waiting for us in heaven. Um, And uh, it's that perspective that gives us the strength and the peace and the encouragement and the power to get through. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, It's it's exciting, so I'm I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Um, So I don't know, I don't know what you've brought into this room, but that's my main message to you tonight is um, God has a different perspective for you. That's how we face what it is that we face every day. Um, Nels alluded to it a little bit. Um, a lot of, I would say the, le- the latter half of my life, I'm 38 years old, um, but I've experienced, um, a, I would say, a significant amount of pain and suffering. God has allowed things and caused things to happen in my life. So um, I didn't want to get up here and preach these truths without knowing that I'm feeling them inside, that I've experienced them for myself. Um, 23, um, it was actually the, the, the night of my father's birthday, February 22nd, uh, 2004, so it would be 15 years ago this year. Um, I was driving home from a friend's house, hanging out, having a good time. Um, actually, I, the truth be told, I went there to see a girl. Um, and about five minutes after I showed up, she turned around and left. So I hung out for a little bit, and then um, I hit the road. But um, I was driving uh, in North Portland on I-205, heading towards the Gleason, Gleason Street exit. Um, and the last thing I remember is taking that freeway exit. And from the time I 
took that freeway exit until the time the next morning that I woke up in the hospital. I have no memories of the series of events that unfolded. I have some flashbacks. I have some bits and pieces here and there. A lot of them are tied to senses, sight, uh, not sight, but sound, hearing, taste. Um, it's this weird conglomeration uh, of sensations in my mind. Um, uh, but what, what we were able to figure out by, uh, from witnesses and from first responders and stuff, I had taken the freeway exit, and as I was driving down Gleason, another vehicle collided with mine. Um, and then that vehicle proceeded to leave the scene of the accident, so um, there was nobody to prosecute, there was nobody to stop and help me. Um, but what happened was the Jeep that I was driving flipped multiple times, uh, end over end, and uh, uh, at... Uh, at some point, uh, the, the, the top of the vehicle was crushed in, and my face took the full impact of that collision. Um, so when I, um, when I woke up the next morning in the hospital, the, and the doctor sort of gave me the news and the rundown of what had happened, um, it's a lot, so I, and I'll try, to, I'll try to be brief, so if there's anyone that's squeamish in here tonight. Uh, I won't do you any disservice, but uh, my, my skull was split open from ear to ear. Basically, the entire left side of my face was crushed. Uh, my nose especially was, was pretty flattened and obliterated. Um, the, my whole upper and left side of my jaw were shattered into multiple pieces. The orbital bone around my eye was crushed. Um, and then my eye itself was actually lacerated so deeply that about three weeks later, it had to be surgically removed. Um, from the neck down, I was fine. Um, they aren't sure whether I was wearing my seatbelt or not. Uh, I didn't have any like seatbelt bruising or trauma normally associated with, um, but I wasn't ejected from the vehicle. Uh, the hard top on my Jeep had actually completely torn off. All of my stuff flew out all over the road. My guitar was in there. Um, and it got destroyed. But I somehow stayed inside of the vehicle, and then I was able to um, extract myself. Uh, when the paramedics arrived, I was lucid enough that I was able to give them all of my, my phone number, my information, my name, and all that stuff, so they were able to call my parents. I don't remember any of this happening. Um, but needless to say, it was an extremely traumatic event. Um, and, and it has changed, I believe, changed the course of my life since that day. Um, but uh, here's the hardest part and I think the thing that has um, affected me the most, because I know people who have gone through similar kinds of things, and they have similar injuries, they've been hurt in similar ways, but the hardest part for me, and the thing that to this day is still hard, and has probably created the most amount of pain and suffering in my life as I've wrestled with this, when I woke up in the hospital the next day and then the next few days after that, uh, and I was able to eventually stand to my feet and become slightly mobile. Um, I remember the first time I looked in the mirror and I didn't recognize the person who was looking back at me. Um, I don't have a lot of slides or, or um, notes, but I did bring one picture and I'll just apologize ahead of time. Bloody or anything, but it, um, th this, this was me. Um, a friend of mine took this picture. Uh, yeah, it's hard to look at. Um, uh, there's a, there's a, a feeding tube going in my throat. 
they had to put a trachea in my throat so that I could breathe. So when I first woke up, I was hooked up to a machine that was breathing for me. Um, yeah. Uh, they weren't sure if I was going to survive. They weren't sure uh, if, if there was any, and if there was, what level of um, brain damage I may have suffered. I actually remember, um, as I started waking up, and I was on so many drugs, you know, I, it's, it's hard to keep straight certain memories, but I remember hearing the doctors talking to my parents and saying, you know, because I hadn't really responded much. Um, I remember hearing them telling my parents, we don't know if he's going to be all there, if he's going to be, you know, the same person. He may be a different person. He may have some pretty severe injuries for the rest of his life. And I remember thinking in my head, no, I'm here. I'm, I'm okay. I, I'm fine. Um, but I couldn't. I couldn't respond. And over the next course of the next couple of weeks, um, I, I, I would say that there were multiple miracles that God did to protect me. And I was able to prove that I was able to communicate. Um, uh, you know, there's a whole slew of doctors that came in to evaluate, and I had to do math problems and all of this stuff uh, that, as they were evaluating my cognitive abilities. Um, but the hardest part was uh, seeing the scars, and those have never gone away. When I look in the mirror, I still don't recognize myself. I, I, I think that's not me. Um, that's not the real you. Um, and I even have reoccurring dreams of like uh, my face going back to the way that it was before. Um, I can feel, I can feel the brokenness. I can feel the bones, the jagged edges. Uh, my, my plastic surgeon actually used the word jigsaw puzzle when he described having to put my face back together. Um, yeah, there's, there's a whole lot that I could go into, but um, I think I could suffice it to say that it was awful and horrible, and um, I wouldn't wish that experience on my worst enemy. I don't think that I have any actual enemies, but I, I wouldn't. Um, um, uh, but there's two significant, thing, two, two significant takeaways. The one is seeing my face and not, and not being able to Get away from that, it follows me around. I see it every morning when I wake up and look in the mirror. And then the other main takeaway, uh, the thing that has stuck with me, and, I, and I, the providence of God and the, the, the kindness of God is so evident. Um, I remember that, that same moment when I looked in the mirror and I didn't recognize who I saw. I, I felt, I, I don't know how to describe it, but it was this moment of like, warmth and security and peace wrapped me. And I heard God say to me, I love you, you're my son, you're alive uh, for a reason, and um, it's, it's going to be hard, it's going to be excruciating in the, the days and weeks and months ahead, but um, there's a purpose behind this. Um, and uh, I remember going um, and asking one of the, the night nurses uh, if there was a Bible that she could find. And I just, I opened to the book of Job. And I remember reading through Job. And if any of you, if any of you know well the story of Job, uh, you know that um, Job suffered far more than I ever have and I pray ever will. Um, the interesting thing is uh, when I was in high school, and maybe this was... Uh, uh, in my stupidity and maybe in my, my self-righteous pride, I came across this Bible verse in Job that I thought was really cool. Um, 
and it just felt really neat. Like, man, I want to have that kind of perspective. Job 13, 15, Job says, uh, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. And that actually is underneath my senior picture in my high school yearbook. Um, and that, it, it's just stuck with me ever since then. I can't believe I actually put that there. And, and now I feel like I'm having to live it out. I, I, I'm having to put my money where my, where my mouth was. Um, so um, I don't say any of these things lightly. And I mean what I say. Um, you know, there is hope for those of us who have gone through horrible things and will go through horrible things. Um, how do we not lose heart? How do we do that? We're we are surrounded, we're inundated with a culture uh, whose ethic is completely secular. We're, we don't live in Christendom anymore. We, are in a, we live in a post-Christian society in the West. Um, no longer are we simply tolerated as believers, but actually a lot of the beliefs that we have are seen as immoral to the predominant culture. Christians are, um, they're being treated as though the beliefs that we hold dear are actually hurtful to the world that what we believe is immoral. And we know that's not true, but that's the, the society that we live in. Um, how do we respond? And uh, um, I, just have one, I just have one point, uh, and we don't have time to get into it all. I know that I'm, gonna, I'm probably gonna say things that are gonna raise 10 other questions in your mind. Um, and I would just hope in the days and months and uh, years to come that you, know, you guys are able to work through some of this stuff theologically as you deepen in your faith in Christ, but ultimately um, it comes from centering and grounding ourselves in the truth of God. And the way that we do that is by knowing God. And the way that we know God is by reading and studying his word, um, we, by practicing these uh, these common practices of spiritual discipline that are just utterly disappearing. Um, spending time in the word, praying, silence and solitude, fasting, community with other believers. I'm, I am so tired of hearing people um, proud of the fact that they practice their Christian faith and yet they, they don't enter into community. I don't need to be a part of a church. It's just, it's a thing that I can do one-on-one -on -one and I wanna say that's fundamentally not Christian. Christianity is not a lone ranger religion. Um, it's, it's simple and it's hard, but the way that we ground ourselves in these truths, the way that we have a different perspective is by knowing God more. Um, I wrote here that uh, this is an attitude or posture that comes about because of an understanding of our actual position. Um, and so now I would go back to 2 Corinthians where Paul says, there are eternal things and there are um, temporal things. There, uh, there are light things and there are weighty, glorious things. Um, what we experience here and now in this life isn't the whole truth. We only see partially. It appears uh, as though when we experience these things that we've been defeated. Paul, all of 2 Corinthians is about this. In the first and second and fourth and twelfth chapters, Paul talks about how it appears as though we've been defeated, but the reality is that we have already achieved victory through Christ's death on the cross. 
he says in 1 Corinthians 2, in chapter 2, in chapter 4, in chapter 12. Um, and because of this, because of this renewed perspective, we don't lose heart because we know the outcome, um, that there is hope beyond uh, the sin and suffering that we experience in this life. Um, what he's calling us to, this renewed perspective, this different eternal perspective, it's a pretty radical response. And once again, I just wanna press into, um, I don't know what you've experienced, I don't know what you've walked through, and I don't wanna minimize any of it. Um, but Paul himself suffered as he wrote these words uh, beforehand, while he wrote them, and afterwards. And he says in 2 Corinthians, I had far greater labors, far more imprisonments with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. One frequent on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from, um, from my own people, danger from Gentiles, dangers in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and in hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of my anxiety for all the churches." And then in other parts of the New Testament, Paul talks about this thorn that he had in the side, this, this thing that he doesn't ever explain, but it's a constant reminder to him. And sometimes I feel like that when I look in the mirror, there's this constant reminder that I have. Um, uh, so what's our normal like hang up? What's our, what's our common opt out? And I think a lot of you guys um, may have responded this way in the past. I'm sure you probably see people that you know that are believers and unbelievers, but I'm speaking specifically of believers. Um, we're tempted to respond to these things that we experience in ways that I would say are not biblical and are not godly. I think our emotions are understandable. God understands those things, but there's still a responsibility on our part. If, we're, if we say that we're Christians, to respond in particular ways. So when we feel angry, how do we, how do we react to that? What do we allow our our thoughts to dwell on and our words to say to people? Do we blame? Do we shake our fist at him? Do we reinterpret scripture? Do we try to break the tension between these truths that God teaches in his word, the reality of sin and suffering and human responsibility and the sovereignty of God? Or do we, do we hold those both of those truths dear? Do we rebel against him and walk away or... Um, do we allow ourselves to spiral into depression? I also want to say very clearly here, um, when, you, when we break our leg, we go to the doctor and get it set. When we have a heart attack, when something doesn't work right, we go to the doctor. There are illnesses of the mind. We know this. Um, uh, if, if you are here and you struggle with depression, it, and it, it isn't because God is punishing you or because you haven't prayed your way out of it, that's a real thing. And there are ways that God gives us to deal with those clinically. He's, he's given people with far more intelligence than any of us in this room uh, the ability to, to develop medicines and ways of treating things. Like we should take advantage of those. Um, and we dare not tell people who struggle with mental illness that uh, it's because of something that they did or something that they're not doing spiritually. Um, and then I would encourage you tonight that to not give up, to not concede, to not wave, wave the white flag or give in because you're struggling, because you're hurting, because you can't see a way 
out. Oftentimes, um, we want to demand answers from God. Um, but there's something about the journey. Um, I like movies. And uh, there's this phenomenon that's, that's uh, come into existence online where movie reviewers will write reviews of movies. But at the, the top, they'll write spoiler alert. Like, if you don't, don't want to know what happened in this movie, don't read the rest of this blog or whatever. And, and if you do, if you've never seen the movie and then you read the spoiler, you find out all of the plot points and who did what and how it ended. And then you go and watch the movie and it's like, okay, that was fun. But like you, you get robbed of uh, the joy and the mystery and the drama uh, of, disco- of discovering the story for yourself as it's being told. And I think so often we, we want answers from God and he doesn't want to give us those answers. He's not going to give us those answers because he's preparing an eternal weight of glory for us. There are things that we need to learn along the way. And if we knew the answers, we wouldn't learn. We suffer because of sin, but we also suffer because for whatever reason, God has designed suffering and pain to be used for our good and for his glory. As, he, as Paul says in Romans, I'll, I work all things together for the good of those who love me and are called according to my purposes. Um, how do we do that? I don't know all of the answers, but here's, here's one way. Um, one of my mentors soon after college, uh, he, he gave me some really good advice that has stuck with me. And we were sitting across the table at a pub drinking a beer in Northeast Portland, and um, this was soon after my accident, and he said a curious thing to me. He said, Adam, pain is pure. He says it exposes and lays bare. It has a way of making you confront truths about yourself that you wouldn't have otherwise. And, and he said this, which has never left me. He says, sometimes you need to sit in your pain. He didn't explain it, he didn't qualify it, he just said it. And, and I think he did that on purpose because he knew that it was true and that he was letting the Holy Spirit work. And ever since that day that it's never left me, um, we are surrounded by a culture uh, that tells us to insulate ourselves. Uh, talking about death is taboo. Um, being honest about what we're suffering through um, people don't, we don't want to hear it because it reminds them of their pain. Uh, e- even medically, people get plastic surgery and they alter their bodies so that we can look as young as we possibly can for as long as we can because we don't want to deal with the fact that we age and all of the physical things associated with aging. Um, it's, we're just, there's so much pressure to run away from it, to avoid it, to shake our fists at God. And I would encourage you tonight to not, to sit, to sit in it. Uh, and maybe you're in a good place right now. I don't mean to be so earnest. Maybe you're in a, maybe you're not in a valley. Maybe you're on a, a mountaintop tonight. And God's just been doing some amazing things. And, and you're blessed and, and you're whole um, and you're happy, which is not a bad thing. Um, the beautiful thing about what's reflected here in this room is we mourn with those who mourn and we weep with those who weep. We comfort those with 
the comfort with which we have been comforted. Those are the words that Paul uses. Um, you don't have to do this alone. We're surrounded. You're surrounded by people who want to come alongside you and love you through it and help you struggle and wrestle through it. Um, what we're experiencing in this life right now, and it's weird that Paul uses these words, but he says they're light and momentary. They are not eternal. And what we're going to experience, this that we're experiencing now, this pain, this suffering, there is no comparison. There's nothing to compare it to. He's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. We are going to feel it. It's going to wrap around us. That, that idea of something weighty on us. It's comforting. Uh, it's enduring. That's what we're going to experience. Um, I feel like I got a little taste of it. God wrapped his arms around me. Um, and it's, it's carried me through. Um, this last year, other than my car accident, has been one of the most difficult years. Um, I've been married, my wife and I have been married for 11 and and a half years going on 12 in August. And um, last January, I came home on a Sunday afternoon and Candace was curled up in the fetal position on our bed. Um, and she was in so much pain, she couldn't, she couldn't get out of bed. And I, t I took her to the ER, which turned into almost four months in the hospital, multiple surgeries. Uh, she has Crohn's disease and she had to have emergency surgery. Um, My children spent more time living at my folks' house than they did at home. We spent more days in the hospital than we did at home. And in the midst of, of all of that, while I was working at a church, uh, there was pressure put on me to come back to work instead of take care of my family. And I ended up, ha ended up having to quit my job later that year. Just an, an excruciating year of pain. And I would say, Nels asked me, because I haven't been here in a couple of months. He said, how are you doing? And I said, well, we're kind of in survival mode still right now. And that's kind of the place that we're in. Um, but I can tell you that my wife and I are closer than we ever have been in almost 12 years of marriage. Um, I've seen her grow in ways that um, I don't think that she would have if not for suffering. So I just want to lay that out to you tonight. Where are you at? What's happening? What has happened? How have you responded? Um, and I would encourage you, uh, you know, think about, think about that. How are you going to respond again? Um, oftentimes we feel like we don't have the strength, but God gives us the